I want us to become brothers again like we used to be, and for us to find ourselves and bond with each other. Can we agree to that? Opinions vary. Welcome to Three Brothers Filmcast. I'm Anders Bergstrom, and I'm here with my brothers. Anta and Aaron. My last name is the same as my brothers. And this month we're talking about The Flash, the capstone to the DC Extended Universe films. We'll talk about the film and how it fits in with what was the DCEU project, as well as the continuing trend of multiverse films. Now, on with the show. Okay, Ramblers, let's get rambling. Tell me something. You can go anywhere. Another timeline. Another universe. So why do you want to stay and fight to save this one? Because this is the world where my mom lives. I'm not going to lose her again. Let me be blunt. The Flash is a strange mess of a film that bears the marks of its troubled production history and studio meddling and testing. It went through a number of director changes over the years, from Seth Graham Smith, Rick Famuyiwa, and then the duo most recently behind Dungeons & Dragons, John Francis Daly and Jonathan Goldstein, before finally settling on director of the recent Stephen King adaptations of It, Andy Machete. The legal troubles of its star, Ezra Miller, certainly didn't help either. But what weighs most on the film is Warner Brothers' decision during production to pivot away from the Zack Snyder-era DCEU towards a new approach, with James Gunn as the franchise shepherd. The Flash marks the end of an era of mixed results for DC Comics on film. But regardless, it means that Barry Allen's The Flash arguably the most recognizable DC superhero outside of the core trinity of Batman, Superman, and Wonder Woman, only finally gets his own starring modern-era superhero film just as the series itself, ironically, runs out of steam. I'm not a hater. I didn't come to the film rooting for it to fail. But it's hard for me not to find The Flash a major letdown, ending not on a whimper or a bang, but in a baffling and unsatisfying manner. The Flash follows Barry Allen as he wrestles with being a third-string member of the Justice League, as well as a criminologist in Central City fighting to save his father, who was sentenced to prison unjustly for the murder of his mother when Barry was a kid. When Barry discovers that by running faster than light he can use the speed force to go back in time, he decides to meddle with the past and stop his mother's death, and in the process, stumbles upon an alternate reality with another version of himself in a world where the Justice League, as we know it from the DCEU, doesn't exist. Of course, anyone who has paid attention to the marketing for the film knows that there are at least a few other superheroes, or versions thereof, in the film. It's hardly a secret that our Barrys seek out the help of Michael Keaton's version of Batman from the 1989 Tim Burton film, seek to rescue a new Supergirl, and stop General Zod on the day his Kryptonian army arrives, as seen in Man of Steel. The irony is that in finally getting a Flash movie, Barry, in many ways, ends up taking a back seat to the other characters in his own film. It's hard not to see the film as working at cross-purposes with itself. It seems like no one trusted the filmmakers or the character, instead hoping that Gen X nostalgia for the Tim Burton Batman and Michael Keaton's take on the character would put the butts in seats. That lack of trust is strangely extended to the fact that The Flash, a comic book character with a large and eccentric rogues gallery, doesn't even get one of his own villains, instead recycling Superman's Zod, with Michael Shannon seemingly sleepwalking his way through his scenes. Or is it just a CGI repurposing of his earlier role in Snyder's film? 
Either way, I hope Shannon got paid decently for appearing in this mess. It almost feels like The Flash is a kind of AI film, created by an algorithm incapable of generating anything new and simply looping back to the past and throwing images at the screen, hoping to see if something, anything works. The result, strangely suited to the incredibly goofy-looking imagery of Barry in the film turning time in the speed force, running in place as a wheel turns, is a sense of stasis, of mining the possibilities of the multiverse, not for any ostensibly creative or narrative reasons, but purely to relive the past. It must also be said that this is an ungainly and ugly films at times. The CGI is third rate, and it lacks any kind of aesthetic sense, in part from the mashing up of ideas, but even there it fails to recreate the uniqueness of the past it's mining for attention. You're telling me this is supposed to be the same world as Tim Burton's films? So, what do you guys think? Is there anything worthy of praise in the film? Am I being too harsh? Aaron, let's start with you. Did you find The Flash to be a satisfying ending to the DCEU? I don't think it's satisfying as an ending because it's it's half measure of an ending, right? But I'll admit that coming out of the film on opening night after I saw it in IMAX, I kind of liked it, but I wasn't thinking too much about it. It was more of like I went in with very low expectations and was like, okay, this is the last time I'm going to see Ben Affleck's Batman. It's the last time I'm going to get these little vestiges of the Snyder uh, universe on screen. And despite the troubled history of the film and despite the fact that I do not love the Tim Burton movies, I was looking forward to seeing Michael Keaton as Batman again. I was I like time travel movies in general, so I'm always interested in how movies play with time mechanisms and kind of break rules and and. There's always kind of a meta element to any movie uh, that is dealing with time travel. It almost accidentally comments upon itself, even if it's not intentional, just by the mechanism of the the narrative structure. And in that element, I thought probably the most interesting aspect of the film is that by giving The Flash a solo movie that is chronologically the final film in the DCEU, by having him go back in time and meet a alternate version of himself who is right at the cusp of gaining his powers they actually are able to do an origin story at the same time and Mm -hmm. make it organic as opposed to just flashbacks and there's actual conflict and emotional stakes in the way that it builds that up it's not dealt with as a done deal that being said the more i think about this movie the more i'm like this movie really does uh personify the troubles of warner brothers as a brand and dc as a cinematic universe in a very similar way that Joss Whedon's Justice League did in 2017, where I actually like enjoy watching it, but I enjoy it in spite of the fact that it is Frankenstein together, that it it is yeah. hugely meddled with. And I actually f- feel no ill will for, towards the individual filmmakers or Ezra Miller or any of the people involved in it. I feel bafflement at the fact that Warner Brothers executives are able to mess with things mid journey so often it's like it's almost like the ending of flash uh, the two berries dealing with the speed force and kind of creating this monstrosity of universes collapsing in upon each other is just a massive metaphor for how these in and out warner brothers executives who seem to have beefs with the actors or beefs with each other are constantly like just mid-direction changing the whole universe and changing chronology and, and retconning things just based off like boardroom politics it's i know that hollywood is a giant money machine and i think that there's huge limitations artistically to the way that marvel and disney run their kind of tight ship operation of everything being bland in a happy meal 
But there's a consistency there, and the Flash is not consistent. And so there's moments I'm like, this is pretty sweet. And then there's other moments I'm like, who in the world ever thought that this would be a thing that a person wants to watch in a movie? Absolutely. Like, okay, I'm actually kind of with you that I think the most interesting parts of the film are the sort of middle of the film sequences with the two berries in his own past, which has a very kind of back to the future, which is kind of an in-joke in the film. But yeah, the this film, I just don't know who it's made for. It's, it's over-tested. Over, and, and yeah, but Anton, so what did you think? Like, are you, where do you fall on this? I don't think either of you are being blunt enough about this movie. I think it's a junk heap. I think this is the worst new movie I've seen this year, in uh, 2023. <laughs> and I, I think the metaphor of a junk heap describes it. Um, yeah, there's a few scraps there that are good. Um, I was happy to find the old Batman toy sitting in there. But overall, um, I'm disappointed that I got reeled in by the <laughs> promise of Michael Keaton. And I think um, it frustrates me because basically exemplifies everything that was wrong about the DC um, EU um, showing that really uh, what DC should have just done was let Snyder make his movies because they're the good ones. And I know you guys will disagree that, you know, you enjoy perhaps Aquaman or some of the other ones, but I, I just think that uh, you're fundamentally right. What it shows to me is that for wh whatever reason, the studio is terrible. Aaron, you're completely right. They're bungling it, and it's them mostly um, trying to bring in stuff that just doesn't work. And the movie is also like a junk heap in the sense that it's uh, like, you know, it's a mixed bag. It's all sorts of things jammed in there. And I think Anders, you know, you see that in the, the visual mess that is that yeah. conceptualization of the universes coming together. But then it doesn't even, um, it doesn't even properly build and create the things it seeks to do like you know i'm not saying that there isn't some stuff i liked about it um i think aaron you're right that um it is interesting that they were able to sort of work in an origin story of the flash by having the time travel and it's kind of funny and weird that you get a movie where it's uh you know the hero and his doppelganger himself like hanging out the whole movie and having banter but you could have done that in a completely different way and I, as much as I, you know, as much as I like Michael Keaton, I was the the second time they have Michael Keaton come out and trot out one of the the fame the famous lines from the original Batman, and they get they for a second time slowly move in on him, and they're like, "Now you want to get nuts? Come on, let's get nuts." You know, and you're just like, I can't believe you actually just did that a second time. Yeah, it's not organic at all. It's it's cringeworthy no but yes. it's actually it's a little bit more neither of you guys have seen spider-man no way home which is i the have most I have. you have yeah. okay you know the scene where andrew garfield's spider-man shows up and the movie just kind of stops for like 20 seconds oh. <laughs> hi hi no 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 no. it's okay it's okay it's okay i'm a nice guy <sighs> Who the hell are you? I'm Peter Parker. That's not possible. I am Spider-Man. Yeah. <laughs> and the reason why it stopped is because they're like, we have to wait for people in the theater to clap. The issue here is that when I saw Snow Way Home, people clapped. Uh, and this, nobody said anything yeah. in response. But either well, way, they it's didn't just, even do, it's sort of wrong. I will headed. give credit. I will give credit to Marvel in the sense that um, at least they do, oh, hey, that guy's showing up better. 
I'm not saying that, like, you know, Michael Keaton, they actually tried to make him a character. It's because it's the actual um, versions of the characters in that one. It's not in this. It's just Michael Keaton playing a different version of Batman because as the character explains, they introduce him in a the very whole timeline way. gets changed. Yeah, it's, it's, by it's not Tim Burton's universe. Of, yeah, but, well, of course it can't be because visually, you're like, it's so. It's not the 1930s. How is he Batman in this world that looks like Man of Steel, that has, like, the characters from no Man sense, of Steel, though. and then all of a sudden you get, like, Burton's stylized, you know, uh, and that's what I'm. That's what I was saying. Like, suit. it's aesthetically gross, but in the sense that, like, aesthetics doesn't mean that things are pretty. It's not the one perfect shot thing that I'm looking for. But it, aesth- to have an aesthetic, to have a cons- Zack Snyder, you can dislike Zack Snyder, but he has an aesthetic. He has a, he has vision a unified he, vision, sense exactly. of what he wants to put on. It's about screen. fit. It's about putting things together in a particular way of expressing a style and this film like even the batman suit when ben affleck shows up i was like why does it look so awful and gross and rubbery in a way that it did not in like batman versus superman well they shoot it they don't shoot it like snyder does i don't know if it's the the justice league but yeah it's so bright that that costume looks terrible when it's that bright because it looks awesome in batman versus superman but yeah like but going back to that idea of like you know the they they're waiting for like if you build in that kind of like when people talk about fan service, I don't think every cameo or every Easter egg, if you want to use that terminology is, uh, is wrong in a superhero film. That's kind yeah. of comic books have always done that kind of stuff. For but sure. It's like, for sure. it's exactly the, what you're saying, Aaron, that like, let's pause and expect the audience to clap like a bunch of little trained seals for the thing that we're giving them the, the fish that we're dangling over there. You know, it's like, it's it it, it re- remember how everyone used to not to get political here, but remember how people make made fun of like that that horrible moment in the twenty sixteen election stuff when Jeb Bush was like, "Please clap" when he like announced the thing and nobody and he so he asked the audience to applaud for him. <laughs> please clap. But like that's what it feels like. It's like yes, no one I, does anything. I, it's like please clap. I agree you that know? the movie the movie's it's like desperate. almost it's it's de- it's it's almost uh it's presumptuous. Yeah. It's saying I'm I'm giving you Burton, and he's saying two of the lines from the original Batman. Is this not enough? You know, yeah. Are you not entertained? Like, you know, it's just like no, I'm not. I'm not this. Like, I wanted more. If you if you were going to seriously bring back Michael Keaton's Batman, you could have done it a lot better. And I'll give No Way Home credit. It at least, for all of its flaws, in my view, um, at least it's committed to giving me a good time by bringing the three Spider Mans together. In this movie, I don't know what sort of time they wanted me to have. Sometimes, apparently, this is like, people online are like, you know, oh, this is such an irreverent take. And you're like, yes, sometimes it's irreverent. And then sometimes it's trying to, like, milk, like, fake crocodile tears about his mom being stabbed by someone. Who? And you're like, what, Who stabbed what's your... his mom? We never yeah, well, found That's out. the other thing. Who's the mom? And why, why would the, like, you know, usually I'm not uh, obsessed with plot holes. But you're like, why wouldn't you just have your mom leave the house? Like, it's just the sort of thing where you're like, I don't understand. Like, why would your dad be in there? If the murderer came into the house, like, you, you're assuming that, like, who did it? Like, if you, like Why did don't they do you, it? Did they steal a, There's stuff? actually a compelling, I thought there was going to be a compelling mystery. Like, who killed Flash's mom? Like, it's I kind of weird. Thought it, it was like, reveal. It, it was, was like the dad a sunny afternoon. Point. They're making spaghetti. His dad goes out to, like, you know, get the, the tomato. He buries, suddenly dashed upstairs and someone comes in and kills. Like, 
that doesn't i'm sorry like there are weird things happen in the world but like if something weird like that like someone getting murdered on a sunny afternoon in their own home making spaghetti don't you think that's like an interesting question that you would want to answer i don't know but no they don't think that that's an interesting question what's only interesting is hitting the plot the beats of like certain like to get where they want to go with the cameos and, and all the other stuff they're actually not fundamentally interested in barry and that gets back to my thing in that i said that this is a film that actually constantly puts barry in, in the back seat of his own movie it 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 kind of hand you know hamstrings him. there might be all it might be part of the extra textual reasons you know i don't know if the studio essentially trusted that Ezra Miller can carry a movie. To me, it seems very clear that at some point they were like, you know what? Like, we can't just have a flash movie that's just a flash movie. Like, this isn't going to work. Um, he can't carry. But, but it. I actually don't. So we're going like... to have to. We're going to have to give reasons for people to come, and we'll bring back older characters. We'll yeah. do. We'll extend the time travel stuff. So we'll do one of these multiverse movies. But then they even fail in having the multiverse have the weight. Yeah. That it should because it's. It's multiverse focused on him trying to solve his mom's murder. It's not a multiverse or that not. explores it. Or, or not. Yeah. Well, and then we can talk about, my goodness, like the ending. So Yeah, yeah. We should. But I, you, get, you I actually want to ask okay. Aaron, Aaron a question here because we'll definitely have to talk about that in the ending of the movie. Um, but I want to ask Aaron a question here about what you think about – because I, I know I'm, – I'm trying to puzzle something out about the character of Barry Allen and Ezra Miller's performances – Throughout the entire DCEU. When I saw the original Whedon uh, Justice League, I intensely disliked his character. And I should clarify, I don't think it, Ezra Miller is a bad performer in these all these films. Uh, I think I just don't like the character of Barry Allen as written in, especially the Joss Whedon f- film in this one. And I was very surprised, Anton, when we did our uh, Zack Snyder Justice League uh, podcast a couple years ago, uh, that I actually kind of liked the Flash in that version of the film. I agree that I liked right? the. F- I think he had Flash some like, nice little Snyder moments. He had some better. of the, actually the better character. Yeah, so something there's something about the cut and the way the character was written there that I I found much more compelling. I guess again here though I actually found Barry intensely irritating, especially the young version of him who's constantly sort of giggling and laughing. I was just like, oh, I want to. Just like the uh, older berries, like, just like slam them against the wall and be like, "You're an idiot. You're a moron. You're ruining everything." But um, so, Aaron, do you, so am I onto something there that it's like it's not necessarily uh, Ezra Miller's performance per se that I think is wrong, but I think the conception of Barry or the way like he seems an inconsistent character. The very fact that you can like wring such drastically different nuances out of the same performer and essentially the same character seems really strange to me. What do you think? It's because they um, they can only envision him as a sidekick and then they make him as his own sidekick, which doesn't actually <laughs> yeah. allow you to yeah. play as a foil. Because think about it, like he is most interesting when he's with Batman. And so they have to saddle him with different versions of Batman here. But because there's because it's not the proper Keaton Batman, we don't get an actual like foil relationship there because the thing with Keaton's Batman is that he's not Ben Affleck's, right? He's not brooding. He's not the like grizzled old man. He's old here, of course, because of his age. But the Keaton Batman is a little bit of a loner eccentric. Mm-hmm. Which and they play up a lot. They do a little too much. and But like he is kind of funny in certain ways because he's odd. But there's no predetermined dynamic there. Where And then in the Snyder cut, 
it's him and Cyborg. And Cyborg is like the world, you know, the weight of the world is on this man's shoulders. He is horribly, horribly, you know, like depressed the whole movie. And Barry's kind of there as like, oh, you're like, you can do cool stuff. And like kind of reminding you, it's like, wait, you're a superhero, you're a superhero. And like he's, they're the two young guys bouncing off each other when, you know, you have Wonder Woman and Batman as the adults in the room. And Aquaman is kind of just the, like the, the rogue. Right. Yeah. Um, in the dynamic of those films. But here it's just it is it, it does seem like, again, the movie um, is in indic- it, its own narrative approach reveals the lack of trust and agreement on the entire like editorial executive side of it. And that leads into not understanding what kind of hero Flash is and why we should be on his side because the thing that work that only um the approach that they've chosen which is that he's a bit of a superhero fanboy who becomes a superhero which is very much um mimicking tom holland spider-man it only works when he's around other superheroes in this universe like in his universe because they're the ones that he has the relationship to in, in as a fan or as a sidekick but when you strand him out here in this universe where what he's interacting with is things that are detached from the past or new like Kara or completely never existed in the first place like some of the cameos like the weird CGI cameos it's just like what is he reacting against what is he a foil against what is the you can't if you're defining the character only through comparison and contrasting then when he's left to himself and he's there's two of them now it's like a feedback loop that proves that there's nothing there except for whether you like Ezra Miller as a performer or not, right? And his yeah, nervous energy. Like He's his... got his neurotic energy. And I don't mind Ezra Miller because I, I like Ezra Miller in most movies. Even in, you, uh, I, we need to talk about Kevin, like the one that kind of put him on the map. I, I hate that movie, but he's not the problem with it. And I think he's like really good in Perks of Being a Wallflower and, and some other movies like that. But uh, he's more suited to, you know, being a bit of like a dead eyed psycho in some sense. And there's a lot of nervous energy that is put to use when you have another actor to ground the performance. So if you just there's two of them on screen, right? Like, <laughs> but that, yeah. well, this also might be part of the problem again with the, the conception of. Uh, the DC universe and having it not have origin stories for each of the characters, trying to kind of graft origin stories onto immediately onto your superhero teams. So his story is only compelling in bite-sized chunks in like Snyder's, but there's not enough there to supply like a whole movie. It's not a terribly, compelling origin and they don't really even embrace like some of the more interesting things of like okay like you have one scene where he's running around wild but you're like if you could move this fast there's a whole lot more interesting stuff you could do with someone testing out his powers and they're it, not interested the, in any of yeah that. They're, it's very perfunctory right like everything about the character and his even his powers as you say like the scenes where he's like running from central city to gotham right is like i'm like <laughs> It's meant to be like a, you know, a time lapse of everything. I'm like, that's not like that geography that you would actually see between those. Well, no, they don't even like, it's like totally that CGI. again is like, that's it's, but that's so the laziness of the movie. Yeah, like the movie's so you, you could have done an incredibly cool shot where you actually show everything that would go between say New York and, and is this Kansas, like Chicago or, or Chicago or, or Illinois or like Midwest, uh, right? Yeah, Midwestern like, city. Yeah, exactly. But you're That'd like, cool. you could do a really cool shot there, but you just, 
you lowballed it and you did it really lazy and it doesn't look good and it doesn't and it extends to the character in a lot of different ways like you know i <laughs> we were i was i was kind of surprised that like so is it Mar- maribel verdu the, the mexican actress who's best known for itamama tambien and pan's labyrinth is playing oh mother. yeah yeah who's but she's italian but she's italian because she loves her son and she makes spaghetti that's the most cliched like horrible version of like an italian but the rest of the family has no italianness to them but she's not actually italian she's like a spanish a hispanic person like it's it's, you know yeah, it's I mean? incoherent like it, it doesn't it's incoherent sense. and vague and like except it, it just plays on the dumbest cliches of like it's terrible like i'm not sure what they could have done like i honestly think that like when i watch and think back over the dc universe they only make sense as a trilogy to me and they they drastically make no sense if i if i think of them all they only make sense in the a snyder trilogy and so you have the small pieces that come together eventually in justice league in the four hour version of justice league and you're right aaron or anders i can't remember who it was that's like this movie does remind me a lot of whedon's justice league not only for the the ugly aesthetics but also for the cheap humor combined with cheap sentiment it's extremely weird that this movie's coming out almost two years after the snyder cut no it is two years two years after the snyder cut it's very strange because Warner Brothers had like an opportunity to course correct there in which they present the proper version of the story. The first one flubbed and flopped, right? Yep. Nobody liked it, really. Like some people like like me thought it was like fine, but I've still know, only seen two thirds of it. You forget about it the next day kind of thing. Yeah, that was such a weird experience. Um, but then this the Snyder Cut comes out. And it gets critical acclaim from people who don't even like Snyder's other movies. And you have basically everybody have to kind of swallow their pride and be like, oh, Snyder had a vision. And this movie clarifies that vision. And there's aspects I don't like about Snyder's aesthetic or his this, that, the other. But there is like a unified artistic approach to these characters in this world here. And in my view, it even makes Man of Steel in Batman versus Superman better once you understand where these movies are going. Yeah, no, I, I for sure. Um but like, well, I, I still like Batman Superman more, but that's more like the Fantasia aspect of it. But um, it's the fact that you had this play out in a public realm, in the public realm, right? Like yeah. it worked. And then they're like, no, we're going to make another. Actually, the like canon version that we like is the 2017 version. And it's just it's like it's such a baffling decision. It's just very strange. It doesn't even make monetary no, because this movie flopped. <laughs> well, almost most of the post Snyder, if not all the post uh, Zack Snyder cut DCU films have flopped. Other than like the Man of Steel, uh, Batman vs Superman, which maybe didn't perform what they wanted, but still made a lot of money. And Wonder Woman are the only three that made a lot of money. Aquaman made a ton. Oh, that's true. That's true. But again, that's those are pre the Snyder Cut. I don't get why they would pivot back to this. And again, I say this as a person who, you know, if, if I was texting some friends after because they were curious about it, like right when I came out of the theater, I'm like, oh, it's kind of fun. Like it's messy, but I, I had fun. And I wasn't thinking about it too much. And But the more and more I think about it, it's like, no, this movie is a mess. Like it's absolutely a mess. And I'm being charitable to it. It doesn't mean I have to like have ill will towards it. It's just more yeah. of seeing it with clear eyes and understanding like the DCEU is just such such a like failure 
And it pains <laughs> me to say that as someone who continually criticizes Marvel for their blandness, for the feeling that it's just going to be strung on forever. But then DC had an opportunity to do something different and they never really figured out what they wanted. Um, sometimes they're saying we're going to do director-led works. Sometimes we're going to have a heavy studio hand to try to steer things in a certain direction. But then it was like every time they made a movie, even though the movie maybe was successful or not, they like went into mini reboot of like, or reset of like what they're trying to do with the DC universe. And you're like, I mean, I'll have to say it probably what you're missing is a Kevin Feige, like to just control the direction of like the overall content. The best thing about Marvel, even at this stage is in general, quality uh, assurance that all of their movies that I've seen, even the worst one I've seen is still kind of like, okay. I just so well made. I'm just getting so sick of them, but within the aesthetic that they've chosen. Yeah, absolutely. Yes. Yes. Like there's all sorts of things to criticize about them, but what I mean is they're delivering you um, the happy meal as the happy meal that you're expecting. And the problem with these DC movies is that I only got three of them that, delivered anything that i was expecting um you know what i'm I'm slagging wonder woman too much it's it's still good i just don't love it um i don't like aquaman at all i i only like aquaman small doses and in this movie you're like having him go like full dog dog man mode you're just like (laughs) come on guys like just leave the character alone (laughs) i it's a yeah i'm i'll be curious about unfortunately sounds like lost kingdom like aquaman 2 is just almost entirely rewritten. And so there's been little things coming out about the initial script of the movie was written by Jason Momoa and like his buddy. (laughs) And the plot of the film was literally about Aquaman fighting like climate change, basically. (laughs) (laughs) And it's like really earnest. And it would have like kind of, you know, the stuff that's happening right now in like Monterey Bay and stuff with like orcas rising up and like attacking people and stuff. I'm like, that sounds kind of sweet. And it doesn't sound like they stuck with that. Like it's it's uh, completely changed into a several wait, other different things. Sorry, can you clear, Aaron, since you follow some stuff even closer than I do. So this is kind of the last of the DCEU films. No, it's, it, is, it is the last DCEU movie. But they're going to do another Aquaman fun. with Momoa. And and yes, Momoa. So technically, Momoa is still within the timeline. Okay, for the new stuff, <laughs> I guess because uh, well, I mean, you know, we can talk. We'll talk in a minute of all the cameos in this and the, the no, final post credits scene in this one is the Momoa scene. Um, but then they're going to start with Blue Beetle as the first of the James Gunn. Ones. I don't know if it technically. No, I don't think so. Okay. I think it's so just a totally unclear what the plan is. It, that I movie think, looks like I th- worse yeah. than Flash. Right? I think Blue Beetle is just like and everything in the press that I've read says that this is the movie that ends the DCU and start DCEU and starts the DCU. But the proper first DCU movie is Superman Legacy, and that's going to be James Gunn's one in a few years. Okay, and they haven't cast Superman for that yet. No, but is, is this really just saying that they they have a few properties they're still trying to finish up? Yes, and they just don't want you to think of it that any of these movies will necessarily fit into whatever chronology they were maybe sort of attempting previously. Yeah, um, but and then what I mean they also don't measure. want you to worry about it being the like slate. the next. Yeah. the next. It's because so it's bizarre. honestly it's what it is is that the executives do want to um i think there was genuine talk about shuttering this movie and blue beetle and aquaman too because remember they shuttered 
Batgirl, a $90 million movie with yeah. Michael Keaton as Batman. And they just like, nope, we're not going to release it because we can actually save money on insurance costs if we just don't release it. Oh, so bizarre. that too. Yeah, because wasn't yeah. it going to be kind of like a Batman Beyond type thing with an yeah. old Batman mentoring a new... And a Batgirl, and, yeah. But a, a Batgirl who's playing the kind of like the Terry uh, role from Batman Beyond. Yes. And then yes. is Supergirl in this? Like, is she going to get anything? Or is this just... She's done. Like they can't... I can't... Like, but what a waste of a character. Who wait, barely a she's character. dead. You're right. She yeah, died. Yeah. Right? But remember, that whole gets undone. So I guess they could have yeah, that I guess actor they could play have her if they have her show up in they the didn't legacy. even take the opportunity to do a Star Trek style. I, no, I literally actually, thought they were going to diegetically reboot. Them. Yeah. That's what I kind of thought too, right? Because like the I idea of like redoing, travel. you can use time travel. Star people who at Star Trek started a lot of this idea that you're going to use time travel to diegetically reboot a series, right? Well, comic books started it because yeah. it's it's Crisis on Infinite. This movie Infinite is Earth. trying to be Crisis on Infinite Earth, and literally with the, like, me. <laughs> yeah. Oh, in like um, a feeble like here's yeah. Christopher Reeve floating by. But crisis. Whoa. When was the last time you read that series? It's actually pretty good. No, I like. No, crisis. it's a smart way to deal and with like, a sprawling has, like, thing. Real and this is a bad way to deal and with deaths of characters. Yeah, kills off one of the Superman and. Uh. Um, no, the thing I was going to say is that people, you know. People hate J.J. Abrams now. Rise of Skywalker, blah blah blah. Um, Trek 09, my my god, like it looks so good in <laughs> in retrospect. It lo- it just it ages like fine wine. It really does. In, I haven't watched it more. I don't know about that. No, no, it does. It. The deeper we get into this, and in terms of recasting characters, in terms of rebooting chronology, this, that, and the other, it does it so much better than all right. these superhero movies have done. I will give the I will give you two things about that movie, just really briefly. It looks pretty good (laughs) and to uh chris pine is great he got really lucky on that overall the casting is strong even i'll quibble about um spock but but it's but it's a movie that also understands the like here's conventions about a summer blockbuster and we have to ace those conventions and we're also doing the star trek like easter eggs and stuff but like it, it it understands its role as a movie entertainment first and foremost. And that's a thing that I actually think some of these new movies coming out, maybe I've become so jaded, but I go into a movie like Flash or I watch Shazam on on Crave or I'm watching other, you know, going to Fast X. And my expectation is so low that I'm like, I just know this movie will not actually like behave as a blockbuster in terms of like the bare bones conventions of it. It just won't. And that's so sad. (laughs) We don't have them anymore. They don't exist. Yeah. Well, I don't know. I don't know what we're left with, and I don't know what DC is left with at this point. Um, I don't have a lot of faith in whatever Gunn has cooked up, but we'll see. He's not the right guy for that kind of stuff because he's not the right watch- guy for DC based on. No, but watching, I enjoyed his Suicide Squad, but yeah, and watching Peacemaker, I, I'm like, oh, this he's made for a TV show like Peacemaker, where there's like low stakes and he can just be like cynical and goofy. Any more questions? Yeah, uh, gender swapped Alfred Newman. Have you ever met The Flash? Yeah, I met The Flash. Like everybody else has ever met him. I thought it was an unbearable D-bag. What about Wonder Woman? What about raising your hand? So what about these cameos? We got to talk about the cameos, guys. There's so many cameos. Yeah, no, cameos. they do. It's like, I, you know, you said, like, I, I understand what you're saying coming out of the movie, kind of thinking you may have had a good time, because, like, Anton, you watched it with me. I'm like, there's a lot of times in the movie I was just laughing. Yeah, but I'm not the laughing, laughing with I'm laughing at the movie. The movie. I'm laughing at it. It's like, this is ridiculous. I don't, yeah, I don't like the opening with the babies. 
Partly because no, the CGI so on the ridiculous. babies was so it's bad. It's so ridiculous. And it looked like the like Allie McBeal dancing baby. Like it, the CGI is atrocious. All right, Mr. Huggy, you want to dance? Let's go. Aaron, I don't know. I was reminded of, I kept thinking it was like they need to do like a hard boiled with the baby in the hospital. <laughs> Giant fat carrying a baby. I know. Again. Yeah. <laughs> you have to but, light a real fire behind them for motivation. Yeah. This, <laughs> this is just like, this is just so goofy. I was like, no way. Like putting the baby in the microwave. Come on. Come on. But uh, but in terms of like cameos and stuff, like obviously there's the the Keaton and then other characters, you know. But like I do think that I also – I mean the other last thing I'll say about our earlier points about how they have no faith at all in this is like the Flash in the comics has like some, a lot of really crazy and cool uh, supervillains. He probably has like one of the deeper rogues galleries of like – a superhero in the comics so i would say maybe maybe even uh only spider-man and batman have a better rogues gallery but like they never touched any of his like you know from captain cold to gorilla grad to you know any of those characters who are just really like eccentric and out there they didn't want to touch any of that instead we get zod again poor michael shannon like, like i'm i'm actually not now not sure whether he actually filmed anything for the film no, he, just did. Kinda, he did he did I do find that superhero movies seem to have an aversion to well-developed villains. And I feel like they're still suffering from like what was perceived as the criticism of a lot of the like early to 2000s sort of era, you know, most notably Spider-Man three where people were criticizing it as like too many villains or like the Mm -hmm. Batman movies in the nineties. But then they like shy away from like ever giving us villains that actually look like super villains they always try and make them just sort of like realistic looking like bad guys. And like, it doesn't like, you know, you're not doing a Nolan universe. I don't know why anyone can't just have a crazy costume. Right. They only do it if it's like a space monster guy. I will actually say, and we can talk about this film. I'll, I might mention a few things about it later, but um, that's one thing actually even uh, across the spider verse does much better is in, in crafting uh, a, a couple new and interesting villains. Um, but then the cameos, the, when the scene, like, so when they're running. Who else do you want to talk about? Run, just, let's just go. Like, who else? I want to talk about, like, when. Well, just say, so there's just a, pick one so, and go. Okay, here's what I'm going to say. There's a really, the, the most ridiculous cameo, besides the final cameo, is the uh, appearance of the Nicolas Cage uh, Superman, which never existed except for in production, pre-production photos and sketches. Yeah. It was going to be directed by Kevin Smith, produced by Tim Burton. Um when I he wasn't that, in I the just movie, laughed. was he? Was Nicolas Cage actually shot for this? They took or a like it looked like uh, like an AI. I, think, I think it's just CGI, yeah. But like that, I la- I kind of just had to laugh. I was like, no way. But there's a hilarious thing because like the idea of like films that were never made. There's the running joke about that in the universe that uh, Barry finds himself in. Eric Stoltz played Barney Fly in Back to the Future. Yeah, which is and the, they which that was the original. Yeah, I know which was originally the casting of that. So like the idea of like film potential castings that never happened or like we're only in the early stages and a few like production photos like the Nicolas Cage Superman. There's kind of a bit of a metatextual thing there, but it, like, it's so, but it's but it, like it, it could do more of that. Like if that totally. would be interesting, if you started to do this on a whale that like bombards the viewer where you're like, Oh look, there's another, like one of these, there's, there's no, no commitment to the bit. Instead no they just do it twice. The and the weirdest thing. So I actually think the Nicholas cage cameo is kind of clever because of that metatextual thing. Like it's one of those elements where it doesn't seem, it seems thought out it, in a way, 
but it also is weird in my it's very weird to me and it's something that is maybe indicative of like culture not just pop culture but like culture at large now and it's the idea of false nostalgia right yeah it's it's nostalgia for things that you never lived through yeah but it goes embodied by stranger things yes Stranger Things personifies it perfectly, right? It's a generation who never was alive in the 80s, who is super nostalgic for 80, like quote-unquote 80s stuff. Yeah. But it goes further into being nostalgic for something that never existed. Like the Nicolas Cage movie, you can't be nostalgic for it. It's not real. It's a concept. It's a photo. Like there's no... There's no memory there. You don't have a memory because you never saw that movie. It was so never what made. are so so this is the thing again. It's like Barry with himself in the room. What is it reflecting against? Well, it's re- it to me it, it embodies um, fan service that it's like they're giving you what they perceive, or whether you want to call it false fan service or real fan service. It's like they're shoveling at you what they perceive that you would want. And they someone said that. Wouldn't that be hilarious? Everyone would love to finally see a little bit of like Nicolas Cage's Superman. That's sort of like a fun joke online. Let's fit that in. And then, you know, like that's what I see. But there's also it. a significant part of the audience who's going to be baffled by that. Well, because not ev- not everybody who spends all day either yeah. reading Reddit. But, well, I think those people will be baffled by this movie. Well, there's always a few people who, I know. Yeah. But I'm just saying that's, that's the problem with this kind of filmmaking is it doesn't actually – there's no reaching out to anyone who's not no, already pre-sold. Like, yeah, right? We so. saw this movie on uh, – Anders and I saw it together. We saw it uh, late on Father's Day and th- uh, there wasn't very full but a few – you could see like a few father-son sort of like p- groups like sort of came in and like everyone left. Like I didn't hear anyone like like laughing or like kind of like feeling good about the movie and I feel like um, – the one dad kind of just looked bothered. Like he didn't know. He thought he was going to like some like fun action movie with his kids. And he like, that's not what it was. Like, it was just like, sort of like, what was that? So I agree that like, there's a sense that a movie like this, you're like, you know, you should be billing the flash, your big like DC 10 pull for the summer towards a general audience in some level. But that's not like where we're at in how we make things anymore. It's just the bizarre feedback loop with the perceived audience. Uh, to re- reinforce through social media and other things like that. So people can send a bunch of screen caps and memes about Nicolas Cage in this movie and that image, and then they think they did a job well done. And meanwhile, like just kind of like the normal dad is just like, what What was that? And then, the, and then it leads into also the movie having, you know, proper cheap nostalgia, which is the, the, the final cameo of George Clooney, right? Well, Where, yeah. Well, isn't the word? But most nobody's nostalgic for that. Everyone hates Reeve, <laughs> The Christopher Reeve one was like egregious to me because it's so um, manipulative. It's also like, it, it's, it's fake so, and unearned for the movie to just throw an image of an Amir as sort of like a beloved figure just for a moment, and you're like, this is meaningless in this movie. It's completely unearned. It's, yeah, it's you so could have fake. actually done something interesting with like again. There is a universe that has like an interesting style, which um, I guess to some credit, Brian Singer explored in his strange version of superman and superman returns but again like you could actually do something interesting where we're going to go into different timelines and then on a visual production level we actually get these different productions that dc has had instead they're just going to throw in christopher reeve and be like oh you got like you know they're drawing on like he got paralyzed and like everyone sort of loves that movie it's sort of like back when things were nicer and you're just like shut up i watched all those movies this past like you know past summers with my kids and you're like this is so unearned. It like just bothers me. Or like 
put in George Reeve, the original Superman. Like, I don't even understand. Like, yeah, in know. like a failed attempt at like a black and white world, it's sort of like doing where it's just. Yeah, yeah but, but sorry, like, the George, the George. No, that those are those are like empty, manipulative AI versions of nostalgia, right? Like that. They're yeah, they're, yeah, they're deep yeah. fakes. They're CGI. Chat GPT, tell um, me, show me some nostalgia. They're completely in there to be like, give me something. So I cry. Oh, do you remember George uh, Christopher Reeve? I love him. And then you're just like supposed to. It's just all your association with him, and it's yeah. just showing you like a facsimile of him to make you feel good about something you liked, right? Yeah. But it, it it fails because there's no character there. You know, it's soulless. It's the soulless CGI version that does nothing but look. Um, like it's not even doing anything. He's just looking. Yeah, like it's very strange too. Um, but then the George Clooney one is an example of what our culture is permeated permeated with on another sense, which is nostalgia for like, do you remember the '90s? And it's like, yes. And it's like, that's the bit. That's the end of it. It's like, do you remember those Batman and Robin movies? George Clooney was Batman, and it's like everybody hates those movies. And most of the people seeing <laughs> this movie, or at least like Gen Z people, is like they don't remember that. They yeah, just have heard like, that there was. Batman there's a few Robert, weirdos but they weren't on even born. Like, film Twitter who are trying to like re, uh, you know, claim those films as camp, but which I think is the only way you can. Well, they are camp. It is. It is camp. Yeah. Is which is fun, but like the, Batman the, the Robin is bad camp. Yes, Batman Forever yes. is good Forever camp. Is good. <laughs> yeah, so Schumacher can do both, but the the whole point is that people don't actually like it. <laughs> like the general sentiment was like it was bad. <laughs> Yeah, that, so why would you why would you end the film on that? It's just it's like, one of my f- most vivid like it's a joke. childhood disappointments was actually seeing Batman and Robin when I saw like a movie and you're you know relatively young and like going and you like out most the theater things. and being <laughs> full on full on like disappointed and being like that was bad like that was pretty not, rare not just a vague a sense that you're like no, yeah. oh maybe that wasn't not good. a vague yeah. sense it was different but, like, you're actually, just like literally you could was confidently like, oh, that was say bad. that wasn't a good movie yeah yeah that was a really bad movie and then you just like say that and you're like yeah. All right, everyone. Chill. So, but can we also talk about how this 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 ending then works? Not only as a cameo, but you're like, so it, am I misunderstanding things? It was probably about like you know twelve thirty, you know, after midnight by with the time this moment plays in the theater. Um, and I was getting bored with this movie, but so is it saying that at the last minute, Flash? So he's supposed to have learned this lesson that he's not going to tamper with time. And then he does tamper with time yeah, because at the last he, minute because then he moves the tomatoes to the top shelf. He thinks right. it's and then harmless. Then he up. thinks that one's harmless. But why did he think that the first one like so my understanding is that the film tries to create a genuine emotional moment where you discover that this bizarre creature villain who strangely attacked Flash is actually Flash who's going on for, you know infinite time trying to undo this is turning into a monster and this is supposed to be like the heart of the movie and then at the last minute he's like like psyched you like i did it again and here's george clooney and then you're like but he never fixes that it's like a bad like it's just like a weak joke like you did all that for like a weak joke it, and if you're going to take it at all seriously, it might, it it might kind of like Twilight Zoney like he, final he, moment where you're like, it, "Oh, right? I'm still in the nightmare," kind of thing. You know, he altered it, right? Yeah, yeah. So, but how does that even make sense as an ending of a movie? Because you're like, so he's still stuck in time because it's not a movie. It's like, 
And you're right, Anders, that his dad like just got off of. Uh, <laughs> but his dad just got out of like life in prison. To the girl. Yeah. And he's just talking to the girl, and like, where's the dad? Like, you're not in the courtroom. Like, you're not like him with or, like, him, celebrating, him and, like staying, and like gonna walk with him as he's. And yet, you as a character like, didn't go on dates before and didn't do stuff because you were spending all your time getting your dad off and going to have phone calls with him at prison. Just it's bad, so right? cheap. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Paraphrase that to me isn't a good example of like this isn't just like pity. But that's like, you know, the ending to me is an example of why this movie is genuinely bad, because they intended that. That wasn't they tried to execute something and they failed. They thought that was a good idea. Someone at some point, I don't know which of the many screenwriters they brought into the room and forced to sign on to this, made that which choice. Which they chained to the computer. Yeah, you're going to fix the flash. Like, I can't do it. You can't make me. Um, that, that, I think the baby is a bad choice. The baby's at the start. Um, I, I do think like a junk heap, there's a few things that you find that are kind of interesting. Um, some old discarded things that are also worthwhile, but I don't know, man. Like I, I I'm also it's just, in a, it's pretty I'm bad. in a bad mood because I'm also like, I don't know why they, I'm so sick of just being shoveled this stuff and expected that I'm supposed to like say at the minimum, well, at least that was a good time. And you're like, because it wasn't a really good time. Last year I saw, you know, Father's Day, we did a double header there's a podcast episode or two. We did, yeah, Jurassic World, Dominion, and we did Top Gun Maverick. And you're like, Dominion's you know not a Dom- good movie. Dominion's a bad movie, but I had I enjoyed that experience a little bit more than this. And then Top Gun was like, that's what I want in a summer movie. I kind of had the reverse experience because I had watched Spider-Man Across the Spider-Verse earlier that day. And oh, earlier me, that day. Oh, yeah. so it's and a total for me, comparison. Yeah. Like, because there's some interesting thematic similarities between the two movies, how they explore uh, a, de- a desire to like fix things and like hold continuity within canons and things like that. But um, that film, even if one disagree, might potentially don't not like, agree with their take on it and stuff like that and what the villain's trying to do and stuff, you you can see that there's a holistic aesthetic design to it. It has real character moments that like, in fact, that's one thing I liked better about Across the Universe than the first uh, into the Spider-Verse is that it was a little bit less frenetic and it uh, had moments of character building and quiet and allowed the characters to develop. And it's a little more melancholy at moments because it's about the, the character, two characters, Miles and uh, Gwen, like kind of like eight, getting a bit older as teenagers and like their pr- issues with their parents and stuff. It was a very good Father's Day film actually for that kind of stuff. But, but then like the Flash is like everything that's, it, you know, I don't. I I thought that I, you know I've heard people saying like Across the Spider Verse is the greatest movie I've ever seen, and I went into it with this sort of like you must not have seen very many movies kind of attitude, right? But it I, is. I liked the, the first, greatest but movie of all. No, time. it's not, but it's very good, and it's a good blockbuster, and it's innovative, and I can understand maybe someone saying that it's on the level of even something like a Mad Max Fury Road or something like that, in the way it's like visually like you know in, intense and stuff like that, and so there's there's going to be people. It, it, I'd be shocked if it like wasn't nominated or win best animated film at the Oscars. Well, at least we can have a, another multiverse fight out because then all the everything everywhere all at once people can get angry at Spider Man across the universe for taking the mantle of greatest film of all time. I think oh, it's, it's the way same better people. than that one. That's quite for the shot chaser, Anders. Greatest film of all time, followed by worst film of 2023. Yeah, it's just, but not. It's not that, but it's just like. It in comparison to the Flash, it certainly looked even better than it probably even was, because that's how bad you know. Just the experience of watching it. I don't know. Was, Aaron's uh, a little silent now. He's like he's contemplating going to see Flash again. 
No, it's not that. It's more of, you know, you have to be honest with your experience with the movie. And I I agree with everything you guys are saying to, to some extent. And I see all your points. And I'm like, the movie is a mess. And I'm not saying it's a good movie. I'm just like, I actually had a good time with it. And I can't deny that. So <laughs> I don't know whether it's just like I was in a good mood that day or watching a movie on an IMAX screen is just really enjoyable or what, what is it? Like is my expect, expectations were so low that the fact that like it, the Hulu, you know, the, uh, the, it's like the limbo bar is essentially on the floor so that when somebody steps over it, you're like, Hey, you didn't trip. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. They lowered it down. And everyone feels really good as they step over. Yeah. I, no, I, I always, yeah, you're right, I Aaron. But, and I think, no, Aaron, you're right. You do have to. I always go back to there's that old Roger. I'm not going to be like pretend that I yes, exactly. had a great time or like I'm, I actually knew it was like I was caught. I was understanding that there's these things in the movie that are just like, that's kind of gross that that's there. But because I was so like not invested in it, I didn't really care. And so I was just focused on the stuff that I had fun with. And I think it's extremely disingenuous for somebody to be like in the moment and like, oh, I kind of had fun with that dumb movie. To then later be like, actually, I hated it because I'm very smart and I'm I, I I'm always right. Yeah, <laughs> you know, it's like. So, Aaron, you're right. I think I always think of the Roger Ebert when he said, you know, a man goes to the movies. You have to be brave enough, or I'm paraphrasing, to admit that you are that man. You have yeah. to report accurately to, about your experience with it not constantly hedging against the meta conversation against what you think other people are going to say and maybe that's what i in, in sharing with you guys my response to across the spider verse and all the hyperbole i had heard beforehand made me a little bit almost embarrassed that i was like yeah i actually really enjoyed it i had a really good time with that movie and it was just such an enjoyable experience you know what i mean like I have to just tell the truth about what I felt about each movie. As you should. It's true. Hey, I, I had to uh, recommend uh, Minions 3 last year on the podcast. Yeah, I remember that. <laughs> still haven't watched it. It's still better than The Flash. No, but it's just, it's interesting that like No Way Home is a is a better movie. But when I saw it, I was probably more troubled by it than The Flash. And the reason is... Flash is not going to make $700 million. The Flash flopped. And No Way Home was a smash success. Yeah. No Way Home was a movie that's like one of the highest grossing movies of all time that people are like, I went to see it 10 times. They treated it like I treated Dune. Like most amazing <laughs> thing they'd seen on screen. That's my yeah, the thing way is like treated Dune. <laughs> well, but like Dune genuinely visually blew me away at times where I'm just like, that's oh, yeah. incredible. It, what I can't I'm wait. Watching. The trailer before, but the trailer for Dune part two before the final. I can't remember now. And movie. I mean, I'm going back to my review of uh snyder's it's snyder's uh is, is uh justice league right the snyder cut of justice league and at the start of it i said that you know this is the best superhero team epic and the last one i'll need to see at least for a good while and i will say that that holds for me everything i've seen subsequent to that including some of the spider-man movies i don't really need them and i'm not really wowed by the action anymore like I'm just numb watching them, and so I I'm curious. I have never actually watched the uh, the Spider Verse movies, so I do want to watch the first one and see it. A lot of my students really like it, so I'll, I'll definitely check out that. But overall, you know, when it's like, well, what's next for the DC universe? In some sense, I I couldn't care less. 
I don't want to be too optimistic about this because obviously Guardians of the Galaxy still made a lot of money. There are other movies that are going to come out this year and make a lot of money. But there is something very interesting about the fact that this is the first year in forever. Basically the first year in since Iron Man in which you've had several flops for superhero movies and not just DC ones because like Ant-Man's not a flop, but Ant-Man hugely underperformed yeah. what they wanted it to make. And it got bad reviews. It's like the 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 audiences are starting to. <laughs> well, that's fine. That's fine. You are honest. About honest your... to the man. No, but it's like there is a potential for this all to come crumbling down in the next few years. The superhero movies, and I actually think that they will. Like there, I think we're clearly past the peak of superhero movies, and I think we're probably going to, in retrospect, look at No Way Home as the last like huge moment like 2019 is when superhero movies peak with avengers endgame it's like the culminating moment of everything yep. that people care about with superhero movies and then no way home is the one that it's like there's still juice in this we can still get what we need but i think going forward it's going to be a little less and obviously people are still going to watch they're still going to be the super fans they're still going to be this that and the other but it's going to start tapering off the worry that i have and the worry that i get looking at a movie like flash or No Way Home, is what is coming next. And what is coming next is something that is like programmatic, algorithmic, depersonalized to a degree that is like, oh, we the next craze, for all we know, the next craze in Hollywood, if these producers get their way, if the Russo brothers get their way, might be action movies starring your favorite dead characters and your favorite dead actors. Like, it's something... We might cheer the death of superhero cinema today, but we might be um, wistfully looking back on it tomorrow. Be careful what you wish for, Parker. All right. Well, thanks for listening. And do check us out on YouTube where you can find the show if you're not listening to it on there right now. We also have audio reviews and video essays there. Catch you next time. Goodbye, Mr. Bowman. I bid you farewell.